there is a saying, she is so heavenly minded, she is no earthly good. Is it possible to be so focused on heaven we're no good on earth? Or is the opposite true? Perhaps being fixed on our eternal home will give us the eternal perspective we need in this life to accomplish all that God has for us. That's what we're going to be talking about today on Storming the Gates. Welcome to Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer. You will be inspired, equipped, and find strength for every battle you face. Hello, and welcome back to Storming the Gates. This is Joni Scott, and I am your host. And I ended the previous episode, Who Art in Heaven, with part one of the story about my earthly father and how I was given a vision of him in heaven. Today, I'm going to complete that story. But first, I want to discuss what it means when we pray to our Father who art in heaven. Let's lay the foundation. Uh, From last episode, we talked about how we have a Father who longs to communicate with us. He sent his own Son to represent him in this sinful, painful, angry world. And he still longs to be near us, to hear us, and to communicate with us. If you have received Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, and the perfect representation of himself, you now have the right to approach the Father as an heir to the throne. That's pretty cool, right? You can get more details if you would like to by linking to that episode in the show notes below. Okay, so if you were to look at Mark 11, verse 21, Luke 10, 21, or Matthew 18.10, or look in the prayer Jesus taught us, we're going to see that Jesus was continually referring to the Father as being in heaven. So this seemed significant and important to Jesus. Well, why? Pause for a moment and consider that. Does it make a difference in your prayers when you know God the Father is in heaven? I just finished reading the amazing story of Reese Howell's Intercessor by Norman Grubb. I also read it long ago when I was a new believer. And even reading it afresh for a second time, I was transported back to those early days of my salvation. And I realized how deeply that book affected me. What Reese Howell shared about prayer has really shaped my entire Christian walk and my own prayer journey. So Reese House started off as so many of us do. He was hungering for more of the Lord's presence. And then one step at a time, he moved forward, learning and growing in the art of prayer. As he listened, trusted, and obeyed the Lord, he developed a profound walk with God and an intensity in prayer that is rarely matched. I don't know if it's ever been matched, Uh, but Reese House was greatly used by the Lord during World War II. He led a group of intercessors in focused prayer during those years. And I'm going to share some lessons that I get out of Reese Howell's story. And that relates to this matter of knowing the Father is in heaven. One of the first things that Reese Howell talks about frequently was about gaining the position. The book said that Reese Howell would continue in a place of abiding day by day, becoming increasingly conscious that the Spirit was engaging the enemy in battle and overcoming him until finally he would become fully assured of the victory. 
After Rees Howes felt a position, as he called it, was gained, he would then consider it a sin to return to prayer. Rather, he would thank the Lord for the answer, no matter how bleak the situation appeared in the natural. In time, whether it be days, weeks, months, even years, the answer would manifest at last. So part of Reese Howell's secret, if we can call it a secret, since it's quite available to all who search out the kingdom of God, but his secret was connecting with heaven in such a way that he'd be certain of the Father's desire in a situation, and then he would cling tenaciously to the belief that he would have what he asked for if he did not grow weary and lose heart. That sort of insight and faith does not usually happen after one quick prayer session. It may take many, it may take months, and it may take fasting. But if we want to get beyond earth's veil and connect with heaven's agenda, then our prayers will become much more direct and therefore much more powerful. And we will have the confidence in what we ask, just like 1 John 5, verse 14 through 15 states. And this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. The second point I want to talk about is removing selfish fear. Okay, we often run to God out of fear for the future or fear for our safety or our health. And sometimes what we're afraid of is actually heaven setting things up for God's agenda to prevail. For instance, you may have lost a job in the, in the past and you were sad about it and you wanted God to give it back, but soon it became clear that heaven had another plan, a better job for you. Or maybe you broke up with that person and you thought, this was the one for me. And now you look back and say, thank you, Lord, that you allowed that to happen. Well, Reese Howells wrote, you can't hear things in the spirit while you have any turmoil or fear in you. You can't take a shade of fear into the presence of God. That's kind of challenging, isn't it? But you yourselves probably know this to be true. When our nerves are frayed, we're not surrendered enough to hear from the Father. Psalm 34, 4 says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Now, being fearful doesn't mean don't pray. It means you bring a concern to him, but in doing so, you want to examine your motive and willingness to accept the Father's will. Because heaven doesn't have fear. So when you are aligned with heaven, fear will dissipate from within you. God's love is perfect. And God's word says perfect love casts out fear. And in Reese Howell's story, while the air raid sounded and bombs were dropped within miles of the school, Reese Howell's wrote, the only thing I am afraid of is that I should miss God's will. Many people are afraid of the consequences. Well, this thought has really challenged me to consider whether I am selfishly clamoring for a thing so that my earthly life is soothed and my own comfort maintained versus seeking God because I want, first of all, to see the work and will of the Father accomplished despite what it may cost me. 
Honestly, when I look around our nation world, it can be utterly frightening. And so when I come to the Father, I want to learn to pray, um, not out of fear of the consequences or for my own selfish wants, but line up with heaven's agenda so I know what God is doing in these times and will pray his will into that situation. Number three, I wrote, use God's written word. So the Bible reveals heaven's agenda. When we read the Bible, our spirit is going to align with God's, and it's going to give us the wisdom about the things that are on heaven's agenda. For instance, reading the Bible, it is clear God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, because of that, Reese Howells took upon himself a deep burden for every creature to hear the gospel and declared war in prayer against anything that would block people from hearing the gospel. With this in mind, he fervently prayed all through Hitler's attempt to overtake the world. He understood from scripture that the salvation of all people was the will of God, and that activated him to intensely pray And he spent much time alone doing battle in prayer. Because of this, he was often given insight into what the enemy was doing. And then he would instruct those who served with him how to pray over the war. Many times it was clear those insights could only have come from God. And they were proven to be true over and over. And the allied forces saw the enemy defeated, even when it seemed certain a number of times that all was lost. One commanding officer noted that at the end of the battle, one had the feeling that there had been some special divine intervention to alter some sequence of events which would otherwise have occurred. So the other important thing is to get the view from heaven. So another way to incorporate the word of God in our prayers from heaven is to kind of shift your mindset to consider that what you are reading you are reading from heaven. That might sound a little different, but let me explain. Just a bit ago, I was relaxing at the edge of a beautiful golf course, watching high schoolers golf for my field trip. I was thinking about this very podcast, and I asked God if there was anything else he'd like me to add. Almost immediately afterwards, I, I read Psalms 102, verse 19 through 20, where it says, For he hath looked down from the height of his sanctuary, From heaven did the Lord behold the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to loose those that are appointed to death. I love this picture of the Father, looking upon us, seeing our weakness, our pain, our suffering, and desiring to set people free. So think of it this way. If you're running through corn maze on earth, and someone was above you with a drone and could give you directions through an earpiece, you could easily and fearlessly get from one end to another without hitting a dead end or doubling back. In this maze of life, the Father is eager and willing to help us through and show us how to rescue a few souls from the enemy along the way. And that picture of our Father that I read in Psalm 102 um, gave me a different perspective. I felt as though I was sitting right next to the Father, looking on earth with him. And it made that psalm jump to life in my heart. It made the truth of God's goodness profound and gave me faith to believe it. 
So what I'd like you to do is to take a psalm or a portion of scripture and picture yourself seated in heavenly places like Ephesians 2, 6 says, and read that from that perspective. And it may cause the answers to your prayer to look very different than what you expect them to be when we're just calling out pitifully from the earth. Ephesians 2, 6 says that he's raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So no, you are already seated with the Father. It's like you're sitting there discussing with him your concerns and your needs, and you're pointing below at the things on earth that are troubling you. So make that little assignment. Pick a time, pick a psalm, and after a time of worship and reflection on your Father in heaven, choose to believe what Ephesians 2, 6 says about being seated with him in heavenly places and pray from that perspective. Okay? And then please, 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 with sugar on top, let me know if it transformed your view of prayer. Hey, my contact info is in the show notes. Also, if you get the newsletter, this assignment will be in the accompanying Bible study, as well as some of the verses I talked about. Now, don't tell me you haven't signed up for the newsletter or my ears will hurt. Go now, even at once. Follow the link tree account in the show notes and sign up. But as soon as you're done, hurry back because I'm going to finish the story of my own father in heaven and my glimpse into heaven. In the last episode, which you may also link to in the show notes, I shared about my father's battle with cancer and how he was unable to eat. Our family prayed my dad would be well enough to at least eat again. And as his situation worsened, the Lord gave me a vision of my dad feasting at a large and busy table, except it was in heaven. Well, let's pick up the story there. At the same moment the Lord gave me the vision, my mother burst in the door, tears streaming down her cheeks. Joni, Joni, she cried. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know. They asked me if I wanted your dad on life support. I don't understand what's going on. I was shaking my head clear of what I had just seen before I quickly responded. What, what did you tell them? I told them I didn't know. I hurried over to the hospital where I learned my father had been unable to breathe on his own following the surgery. Without a clear decision from my mother, they automatically placed him on a ventilator. Now keep in mind, these were the early days of life support, and it was an unexpected thing, and it was controversial. My dad was not expected to survive, and so my siblings were called in to come and say their goodbyes. I tried to reconcile this new development with the vision I had. My dad was unable to breathe on his own. How could he be eaten in heaven? Because he had never received the Lord. In fact, he was hostile to the gospel. I was the first one to see my dad when he woke from surgery. I cautiously entered the large ICU room with four beds, each hosting a cancer victim clinging to life. A nurse at a center desk cast a gracious smile my way. Machines hissed and clicked, displaying numbers and symbols that were meaningless to me. Dad? I ventured, trepidatiously approaching the bedside of the man I both loved and still felt estranged from. His eyes fluttered open, and he smiled weakly. 
and so he was happy to see me. But then sadness. He couldn't speak with the trach down his throat, but he mouthed the words as he shrugged his bone-thin shoulders. What happened? I did my best to explain, but it seemed to make no sense to him. Well, then I did it. I had to. There was no time left. Dad, do you know the Lord? I mean, have you ever asked him for forgiveness? Have you ever committed your life to him? I sucked at my breath as my dad took in this question. I still feared his rejection, even though he was but a skeleton of his former self. My dad shook his head, mouthing, I don't know. And suddenly boldness just poured out of me. Well, you can know, Dad. You only have to pray. Take my hand and say these words in your heart. And there, in the midst of hissing and clicking machines with indiscernible flashing numbers, my dad surrendered to the Lord. And for a season, he rallied. He now motioned for the chaplain to pray with him each day. And all of a sudden, he was loving listening to my mom read scriptures to him. The wall of hostility he once had towards God evaporated like mist as the sun rises. Now my siblings, never inclined towards the things of God, the four of them seemed changed as well. We spoke much of the Lord, the Bible, and his ways. We saw God's hands throughout the time we spent at the hospital. Once, we happened upon a book in a used bookstore that was all about life support and how to reconcile it with one's faith. We read a chapter aloud together each morning, and each chapter seemed to be perfectly timed for the day ahead. Then once, despite his weakness, my dad insisted on writing a note. His machines hissed and clicked loudly in protest, but my dad insisted on writing. I was down the hallway, but my sister soon found me. She handed me the small paper with a thin pencil scrawl where my dad had managed to write. I love Joni. I was not in Zion, Illinois, when my dad took his final breath. My sister says one tear ran silently down his cheek while she and mom released him to heaven. While choosing caskets, my sister began to weep when she saw one with the Lord enjoying dinner with the disciples. That one, she told the parlor director. And lo and behold, it also turned out my father had purchased a plot years ago in the cemetery in a section called Last Supper Gardens. We were all kind of amazed at all these little symbols that implied my dad was feasting in heaven. And you may think I was happy to know my dad made it to heaven after so many years of being anti-Christian, anti-God. And I mean, yes, I was, definitely. But as the death of a loved one so often does to a soul, I began questioning every decision we made. During the months after the surgery, our family had been asked to make a number of difficult decisions. I kept thinking about all the ways things might have gone differently if we had done this or we had done that, and it plagued me. I had never felt close to my father, and now that chance was gone, and it was gone for all of us. My sister's firstborn child, due in one month, would never meet him. My mom was alone. Did we make the right decisions for him in those final months? I couldn't shake the sense that we'd failed my dad somehow. All he wanted was to go home. He wanted to eat. And the surgery and the life support took those small comforts away. 
He died in a sterile room, trapped in a bed with hissing machines. There's nothing I could do now, of course. And the church in Crystal Falls was growing at last. We were holding prayer meetings each Thursday, and a number of people had moved to the area, and they were helping to get our new work started. And I was at such a prayer meeting one night that I was kneeling, and I was absorbed in prayer, when suddenly I was in a different place. There were huge, ornate, rounded doors before me, which opened as an angel escorted me inside. I did not see the angel, but I just knew one or even two were there to escort me into this room. And the room was full of people, all at tables, sitting like really close together because they were enjoying each other's company so much. And they were talking and laughing, and they were having wonderful conversations with one another. And the tables were overflowing with all sorts of food and drinks. I was escorted to a particular place. I could see a man in front of me with thick, dark hair. He turned and looked up to see who had come to visit him. It was my dad, a younger, healthy, not balding version of my dad. He was surprised and delighted to see me. He wanted to tell me all about heaven. I could tell he had so much he wanted to say. I waited as his mouth moved, as he tried to form the words that would express all the wonders he now experienced. But emotion overcame him. Thank you, was all he managed, remembering that I was the one who had prayed with him to receive the Lord near the end of his life. And again he tried to talk, to say more. I knew he had so much more to say. But again, his main thought overflowed in a simple, deeply heartfelt, thank you. And with that, the angels escorted me back, past the tables of people, food, and happy conversations. I walked back through the ornate doors that opened on their own, and I was kneeling again on the shag carpeting in a small house in Crystal Falls. And then I knew. My dad did not care about decisions we made or didn't make. He didn't care anymore about being as little mobile home or eating Earth's lesser foods. All he cared, truly cared about, was that an undeserving soul like himself had made it to heaven. And all he could say was thank you. Let me say to you what God told me so long ago. Whatever you do. Make it to heaven. Thank you once again for listening to Storming the Gates. Be sure to visit our website at stormingthegates.net. While there, sign up for the newsletter and you'll receive free prayer cards and a Bible study for each episode. Check the show notes for links to items mentioned in today's show. We'll see you here again for the next episode of Storming the Gates, a podcast that celebrates the power of prayer. 